But seriously, Pastor TJ, during uh, communion or just after communion, he mentioned uh, <laughs> the idea that, that, that it begins in the manger. The story begins in the manger. It's not just the cross that's the good news. It begins in the manger. And I want to read you some lyrics and, and talk, to them, talk about them for just a second before we dive into the, the actual sermon. I did not plan this. This is a beautiful song. It's a... Uh, a very personal song for me. Uh, it's a newer song by Hillsong called Seasons. And I'm not going to read you the whole, uh, all the verses and choruses, but they're wonderful. And I highly recommend the song to you. But um, the bridge says, I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons. I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. You can see my promise, even in the winter, because you're the God of greatness, even in a manger. For all I know of seasons is that you take your time. You could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. We're going to talk about Mighty God this morning, that, that second title, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mighty God, our mighty God truly is almighty, all-powerful. It wouldn't take him anything to do a Thanos snap, and instead of taking, bringing death to bring us all into that life that he so promised us throughout the Word, throughout the Bible, throughout the Scriptures, And yet he didn't just snap his fingers. He didn't just say, so be it. He sent a child. Think about that. I mean, you women who have been pregnant, nine months of waiting. Agonizing waiting for most of you, right? It's not comfortable. It's it's a trial. It's tribulation, right? Right? It's a waiting period, and then finally that child, and then you, then you go through the whole waiting period, and you know, they say it goes too fast, but really, and it does, but really, my children are, are just now getting into teenage years. My older kids are just now getting into teenage It takes time for that growth. Jesus went through all that to bring the revelation of what God was really like, to bring the salvation that the world so needed, the breaking of the power of sin and death. He took his time. He didn't just do it in an instant. He sent a child. He humbled himself. He limited himself. A favorite pastor of mine, a mentor of mine, says he limited himself. The God of all power said, nope, I'm holding myself back. And we could, talk, we could talk series, sermon series about why he held back. And I'll give you a hint that it's, it's because he's patient. Above his power is love. Above his might is a compassion and a patience that just is mind-blowing. I'm going to stop and I'm going to move on to the series, but to the sermon, but just keep that in mind. Our God is just that beautiful, that humble, and in spite of his might and his power, he is so patient with us. He's so full of compassion and love. Let's read from Isaiah 9, 6 as we dive into the sermon. For unto us a child, for a child is born to us, (laughs) a son is given to us, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You can go ahead and leave that verse on the screen. Christians have claimed from their beginnings that Jesus was the Messiah, the Hebrew word for the Greek word Christ. Messiah and Christ are the same word. Two different languages. They were foretold, he was foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures. He, his reign began a New Testament or testimony or demonstration of the relationship between God and man. That's why Christians usually call the Hebrew Scriptures the Old Testament. Because Jesus was doing something new. Jesus did not replace or deny the expectations of the foretold Messiah. He fulfilled them. The Jewish people had been waiting for centuries for God to act. And the scriptures predicted what God would do. Many of those old prophecies in, of the Messiah are found in the book of Isaiah, including the verse we just read in its four titles. And last week we did talk about Wonderful Counselor. And we saw that Jesus displayed an extraordinarily, extraordinary and inexplicable, inexplicable, I can't even say it, wisdom that ended up transforming his followers and turned the world. And this morning we're going to talk about Mighty God. Our Mighty God. Did Jesus fulfill that title Mighty God. This is, this is a, a big claim. This is a man, right? You know, that, that, that's one of the things that John, John in 1 John chapter, uh, well, not just chapter 4, but the whole epistle of John, he's, he's refuting this idea, this Gnostic idea that was starting to creep into the church that Jesus, he was, he was holy and he was amazing and he was spiritual and therefore he couldn't be a man because man is wicked and evil and depraved and ah, creation is evil. And therefore, he couldn't have been just a man. And John is refuting that, saying anybody. He says, specifically says any spirit that comes and says that Jesus didn't come in the flesh is a lie. Jesus was a man. He was a man. Yet how could he be God? It's a mystery. It's amazing. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Even the disciples said, when he, we're going to read, I'm going to spoiler, spoiler alert here. We're, we're, when the disciples or even just the people that heard him, every once in a while he would do something amazing and they'd go, what manner of man is this? That he that he's just tells the wind and the waves to stop. What kind of guy? What, who is this dude? They were amazed. They probably didn't say dude. Isaiah 9 Verse 1 through 7 says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for Savior, the Israel was. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And like warriors dividing the plunder, for you will break the yoke of their slavery, lift the burden of, from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when they destroyed the army of Midian. And the boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of 
heaven's armies will make this happen. What a declaration of hope. That's what Advent is all about. Advent is all about remembering the, the turmoil that the world was in before the Messiah, before Jesus, before the Christ came. And then he, we remember his coming and we also remember that we're still in a broken world, aren't we? Christmas is a joyful time, but it's not joyful for everyone, is it? Some people, it's a very sad time. And if you really are honest about, you, about it, though we can get caught up, and I do, I get caught up, and I have fun with all the Christmas festivities and the decorations and the fun of the holiday. But really, we're still in a very broken world. We still need an advent, a second advent, don't we? So what an amazing declaration of hope that Isaiah brings to us. What an amazing call on this prophesied king and his four royal titles. Mighty God. The role of a king. Let's talk about the role of a king. In the Old Testament, we see that a king was seen by the people as a sort of carrier of some of the power that was God's. And as a carrier of this divine power, he bore responsibility for the prospering of the kingdom, which would be seen as shalom, the Hebrew word for shalom, peace. And it doesn't just mean peace in the sense of, oh, I'm at peace, home. It doesn't mean that, just, it means a state of well-being, a, a prosperity even. This is what the promise was, that shalom, a state of well-being. A king's responsibility included victory in war, economic success, agricultural productivity, justice and social relations, compassion toward the poor and needy. These are uh, quite a, a lot of responsibilities on a, a, a man. We see a prayer of David for his psalm, for his uh, Solomon, for his son Solomon in Psalm 72. We'll read a few of the verses here. It says, Give love, your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. Help him to defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, to crush their oppressors. He will re- rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no, have no one to defend him. This is all the king's responsibility. He feels pity for the weak, verse 13 says, and the needy, and he will re- rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence for the lives, their lives are precious to him. May the king's name endure forever, verse 17 says. May it continue as long as the sun shines. May all nations be blessed through him and bring him praise. Praise the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone, God alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. With all this royal, royal responsibility, it is still God. I want you to go back to that one verse, the, verse 18, please. It is still God who alone brings the blessing. It's still God alone who brings true blessing and life to the people. So let's talk about Jesus as the divine, car- the, the divine power, the divine carrier of divine power. The word mighty in this week's royal title has, it speaks of bravery, boldness, valiance. These are words that like, they have like a military feeling to them, don't they? Military might, they, they hint that. This king prophesied by Isaiah has power to resist every threat, vanquish every foe, and make his people safe. This king has uncommon courage and power. How does Jesus fulfill this royal title? 
First, he did not claim this, the, the royal power and authority in the same way that most kings and rulers of his day or even ours do. Like we talked about at the very beginning, he didn't just flex his muscles and say, Woo, I'm God. Right? He didn't just make that kind of claim. He didn't just showcase that. Even when he performed miracles, he oftentimes, especially at the beginning of the, the, his ministry, he would tell them, don't tell anybody. Shh. Be happy. Be blessed. Go on your way and keep your mouth shut. He wasn't trying to boast. He was being patient about, he, he, we live in a society that, 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 I mean, goodness gracious, we have phones that are lickety split. They're, this phone, this phone, the phones that most of you have in your pockets or your hands even, they're more powerful than the computers that sent the astronauts to, to, to the moon. I mean, that's not just me, that's real. This is, we live in a society that, that if we, we lose internet connection or it slows down a little bit, what happens? We melt down, don't we? Oh, come on, you do too. I don't, but you do. We, we live in a society when we're playing that video game. Maybe you don't play video games. I do. And it starts to lag. We're like, come on, what are you doing? You know, online video games, it starts to lag a little bit because we want instant, and we're used to instant gratification. I mean, the whole, you know, we've got the microwave, we've got the McDonald's, even Chipotle. God bless Chipotle. That, but that's fast. It's good food, but it's fast, isn't it? We live in a society where everything is basically right here, right now, right? And if we don't get that, we, we tend to either, you know, start to get a little anxious or maybe we just freak out entirely. You do, not me. So here's Jesus performing miracles, This man is performing miracles, amazing people, and he's telling people to be quiet. He's not just outright saying what it is that he's there to do. He speaks in parables, which are stories, and half the time people are going, what? Even the disciples, when he first said the first parable that's recorded in the the Gospels, the disciples afterwards went to him, they said, "Uh, we heard your story. I mean, on the surface, it makes sense. But can you explain? Because we, we know there's more to it. And so he has to stop and he explains it to them. So he's patient. He's slow moving. He, God sends him as a child to go through all of life. Spends 30 years of life, approximately 30 years of life with nothing. Right? The baby is born. Simeon and, and, and it was Anna, the other the two, two people that greet Mary and the baby at the temple when he's being dedicated to the Lord. Simeon says, whoa, I've seen the Messiah. I've seen. And Anna's like, whoa, now I can go to the grave. This is wonderful. I've seen the promise of the Lord as a baby. And then 30 years later, everybody's done forgotten this guy. Now he's just a carpenter. Now he's just the son of a carpenter. It's not a prestigious position. Certainly not a prestigious position when you're under oppression and occupation from an empire where nobody is prestigious except for Romans. God is so patient. And think about the years that he, he spends before the Messiah comes, before Jesus is born, before Jesus does the wonderful things and brings salvation and brings hope in that advent, that first advent. Thousands of years of history beforehand of suffering and pain. God was patient through it all. Was he making people suffer? No. 
Was he going, <laughs> watch him suffer? No, he was being patient. And I don't want to get into that. That's not the sermon. We'll have to talk about that in another sermon. That's a wonderful series, a sermon as well. Jesus did not claim his power and his royal authority in the same way most kings and rulers of his day. He stated to Pilate in John 18, 36, we read, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus is not speaking of some other world or some other place like heaven. That's not what he's referring to. Let me read this quote from uh, Walter Brueggemann. He says, with this phrase, my kingdom is not of this world. With this phrase, he is insisting that his power is not grounded in the usual authority of empire. It is not an authority that comes out of the end of a gun or cannon or coercive or violent ways. His kingdom, his claim to authority is indeed divine in that it is rooted and derived from the will of the Father, whose intention for the world is quite unlike the intent of Rome. What is this will of the Father? What is God's way? Well, we already know his way is patient, his way is compassion, his way is love. And that does not describe any of the Roman emperors, any of the Roman Empire, any, any of the history of Rome. Cannot be described as, as truly peaceful. There was a time, of, as a matter of fact, the, the time of Jesus was known, we know it in the history books as Pax Romana, the pe- Roman peace. The Roman peace was under a sword. It was not peace as in the sense of everything is good and well-being and, oh, everybody's happy. It was, I have a sword. I'm going to kill you unless you say, I'm at peace. That's the kind of peace that they lived under. It was peace because you're not going to fight because otherwise the, the full power of Rome is going to come and crush you. So therefore, there's no fighting because you're afraid and therefore there's peace. Jesus didn't claim this kind of power, though he could have. Remember, he's almighty God. He could snap his fingers, right? Jesus on the cross, the spoiler alert, Jesus on the cross. Jump in the head of the story. The Pharisees mock him and say, hey, why don't you come on down? You're a healer. Why don't you heal yourself, physician? Mocking him. Did he do it? Could he have done it? Yes. But he didn't, did he? He humbled himself, showed compassion. After Jesus completed his 40-day fast in the wilderness, we read how very early in his ministry, he revealed the will of the Father and his royal responsibilities. We read this in Luke 4, 14 through 19. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is the will of the Father. This is true divine power. And isn't this what we read about him, the actions, the deeds of Jesus His words and actions, this is what we read in all four Gospels, preaching good news and hope, releasing those captives 
captive by the religious system of the day, healing blind eyes, lame legs, broken backs, one illness after another. He was amazing. Truly, he was mighty. Certainly, he fulfilled the royal responsibilities that we read earlier in Psalm 72, as well as the will of the Father that we see in Luke 4, 14 through 19. 18 and 19 specifically. Everywhere Jesus went, he did not exploit or coerce people like the powers of Rome or even like the Pharisees did. Ruling with fear. He didn't do that. He spoke life. He gave life. He operated in power and authority that produced life. Produced life. He produced life everywhere he went. Figuratively, of course, for the most part. Of course, you've got stories like Lazarus. You've got the stories like the, the young lady who died and he spoke to her and she came back. Let's look at Mark 1. Chapter 1, verse 21 says, Jesus and his companions looked, went to the town of Capernaum when the Sabbath day come. And he went to the synagogue and began to teach and the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue was, who was possessed by an evil spirit, he cried out saying, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him saying, Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into convulsion. And then he came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news spread about Jesus quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. That unclean spirit, folks, immediately recognized Jesus. This is not just some teacher. That spirit didn't freak out with any of the other scribes, the other Pharisees, the other rabbis, the other teachers in the synagogue. That spirit either did his own business and everybody just kind of ignored him or he kept quiet, it seems like. Nobody's really makes a mention until Jesus shows up, starts talking, starts talking, preaching, and then all of a sudden this thing is starting to freak out. Jesus didn't even address him. It doesn't say that he even looked at him and said, hey, what do you think you're doing? He just freaked out because he recognized something. The spoiler alert, he recognized the mighty God. This spirit sees that Jesus is a threat to his existence. He identifies Jesus with the honorific title that matches the one mentioned by Isaiah. He called him Holy One of God. So much the same sort of ideas that mighty God that Isaiah proclaims, right? He recognized Jesus' divine power. And then Jesus demands, commands him, be quiet. Come out of the man. The spirit fought this expulsion, but was helpless before the divine and lordly command. The crowd's questions and astonishment, questions and astonishment imply this is the Lord of life. Who makes life possible for that man. Life is made possible by exercising mastery over the enemy of life. Life, the power of life and death. That power of life to create that sounds like something that we already know. That sounds like something more than just a man. That power of creation. Hmm. wonder who that could be. God. The mighty God. 
We see a similar divine power, the similar amazing divine power displayed in the story of the disciples being caught in a storm at sea. And Jesus simply says to the sea, be calm, peace, be still. So much like that. Be quiet, come out of the man, peace, be still. Simple, direct, authoritative power. That mighty God is on display with his power, the, the, with his command, rather, the power of death is stopped. Both of these adversaries and both of these stories and the countless other stories that we see in the Gospels, they're so similar. These adversaries of Jesus are forces of chaos and death. And these agents of uncreation reduced the man to helplessness and the disciples to crippling fear. The disciples on the boat in the storm of the sea. But Jesus came and spoke life. Because of the divine authority working through him. That's amazing. He spoke life. Let's talk about that speaking. He is God, the mighty God. The, the apostle John was first hand witness to all the amazing actions of Jesus the Messiah. Later he wrote the gospel with the purpose of exposing and expressing and, and declaring the divinity of Jesus. The other, the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of hint at it, don't they? If you've spent any time, and I recommend you do spend lots of time studying the gospels, don't ever think, hey, I've read them, they're good. And they are good. Read them again. You'll see something amazing every time, I tell you. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of hint at and they drop hints and they kind of, they don't skirt around the issue, but they don't just come out and say some of the same things that John says in his gospel. And in John's gospel, he begins the very beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word already existed, he said. The word was with, with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Nothing was cre created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it, John wrote. He skipped down to verse 10. He says, he came into the wor very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And we skip again down to verse 14. He says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen this glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Side note, he existed long before me. John knows full well who Jesus is. They're cousins. Guess who was born first? John. The Baptist was. But yet he says, because he knows something, for he existed long before me. Verse 16 says, for his abundance, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Does anybody in this room actually question the, the idea that Jesus is God? You don't have to answer that. 
I think all of us, we understand that. It's just something we've been, we've had 2,000 years of history and, and theology that, that have just, that's just normal to us. That was unusual back then. That was amazing back then. And let me, let me bring this back to us now. That should be amazing to us. This is the God who didn't just humble himself and limit his own power and not just snap the finger to bring salvation, but through compassion, love, and patience came down to dwell with us. But he became one of us. He values us so highly. He didn't become a horse. He didn't become a, a tiger. He didn't become some majestic animal. He didn't come down as a spirit. He came down and decided, no, I'm going to be one with these people. He's going to be God with us. Emmanuel as Isaiah. There's so many prophecies in Isaiah that, 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 that are messianic. They, they speak of Christ, the coming Christ. In Isaiah 7, 14, he says that, that, that he shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. Truly, Jesus is that manifestation of God with us. The word Greek word logos that John uses in, 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 in the first chapter of his gospel, that Greek word logos usually translates into, you know, into English as word. But to the English people, the Jewish people, the ancient Jewish people rather, it referred to God's spoken word or plan. To the ancient pagan philosophers, it described the power of the universe and, uh, and their gods. And John was using this. This, this, this uh, dichotomy, this, this difference of, of the use of word logos, that word. He draws from these cultural understandings of his day to make one clear, this clear. The one and only true God of the universe reveals himself and communicates to humanity through Jesus, the word. The mighty God was revealed in Jesus. And he speaks to us. He speaks to us today through his scriptures. He speaks to us today through his spirit. He speaks to us in our hearts, much like the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews chapter 1, verse, verse 1 through 2 says, Long ago God spoke many times in many ways through our ancestors, through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the revelation of what God is really like. Jesus is not just a revelation of what God is really like in thought, but in deed and in presence. He is the revelation of mighty God. He is the mighty God. And finally, let's look at this, this one last thing before I bring us to a close. He says, we, we, we have the story of the so-called doubting Thomas. And I don't think that's fair. Poor doubting Thomas. And here I am calling him doubting Thomas. I don't like that. And I'll show you why I think it's wonderful. What Thomas did. This so-called doubting Thomas finally sees the risen Christ with his own eyes and touches him with his own hands. And we read what his reaction is in John 20, 28. He says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is the same Thomas who often gets wrongly disparaged for an in, with the inaccurate title, the doubter. But let me show you this. This doubter. He's the first among the disciples that's recorded to see Jesus for who he is. I mean, if you think about it, throughout the Gospels, they, they, all were like, they call him rabbi, master, teacher, rabbi. They, they recognize that because he was a teacher. 
And they recognize him as a miracle worker. Even at one point, um, Peter, it, 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 Peter reveals that, you know, he says, you're the, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But still, everything that they see, every, every, uh, every time they, 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 they become aware of something about Jesus, it's always inadequate. They always fall short of who he really is. And here's the doubter, right? He's not a doubter. He no more than the other disciples were. This doubter is the first of the 12 disciples to recognize their rabbi for who he truly was and is and is to come, the Lord, our mighty God. I can only imagine what Thomas felt in that moment, realizing that this strange man with his rubbing everyone the wrong way stories and lessons was not only their teacher, not only the worker of miraculous healings, not only the one who compassionately cared for and forgave all those broken by sin, not only the one who unflinchingly stood up to the established order of the day, this was no mere man that was amazingly blessed by God. This was the one who death could not hold, who in his death defeated death. This was God himself, the creator and sustainer of life, standing before Thomas, not rebuking his questions and fears, but welcoming him. What a beautiful moment. Let's all stand. So what does that mean for us today? Well, one, I hope like me that you get excited by this. You may or may not have heard something that you've never heard before this morning. Some of this may have been new. Most of it probably wasn't new. But why do we have to have something new when we have our amazing God who never really gets old? I pray this morning that your eyes are opened, that you can see fresh and anew how amazing our God is. Just this glimpse this morning, it excites me. As I was thinking last night about Thomas and what that must have felt like to see Jesus after going, wait a second, he's what? He's alive again? What are you all nuts? Didn't you see him? He's dead, man. Now think about this. He didn't just die and they buried him. He died one of the most gruesome and horrible deaths that I can't even imagine today, let alone back then. They saw him dead. Nobody lives through that. Crucifixion wasn't a punishment. It was a slow and torturous death. And yet Thomas sees him. And the only thing he can say is, my Lord, my God. He's at a loss for any other words. Because he sees before him standing such a mighty God. Jesus invited, similar to the way Pastor TJ ended the sermon last week, Jesus invited his followers to continue in this mission of life-giving power of the mighty God. We read in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, you, Jesus said this to the disciples just before he left, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power, he said. 1 John 4, 17, John says, the Apostle John that wrote the gospel that we read from earlier, 
John says, as he, Christ, as he is, so also are we in the world. Does that mean that you are the mighty God? No, but you have been given power, right? That was not just a promise for those disciples. That was a a promise for the followers of Christ throughout the age from his time going forward. That's you and me in this building today. That's you and me as you listen to this sermon. Are you willing to continue the mission of Jesus and be example? Be an example, a witness of the power of our mighty God. Are you willing to be as Christ was in the earth, a liberator of those in bondage? Yes, you can do that. A declarer of the forgiveness of sins. Yes, we can do that. A helper of the poor and needy, a healer to the sick and infirm. You do stand baptized in the Holy Spirit. You do stand with the power of God's Spirit in you, working through you. You can pray for the sick and see them healed. You can speak to the storm and say, say, be calm, be still. You can see the person broken by sin and say, no, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. You are forgiven. You are loved by the almighty God. Are you willing? One last verse, one last verse. Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And certainly that is a promise for that second advent, that second coming of Jesus that we wait for today. But we don't wait. We don't wait with twiddling thumbs. We don't wait anxiously. We don't wait without hope. We wait with joy. We wait with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We wait with power. Let me read one more quote. Walter Brueggemann said, The increase of his government that we just read about, that increase of his government will not be by supernatural imposition or by royal decree. Instead, it will come through the daily intentional engagement of his subjects, his royal subjects, who are so astonished by his wonder, what the, we are, let me say this, we are what the world needs. Men and women of God that are so full of the wonder of God, so full of the love of Christ, so full of the power of his spirit, continuing the transforming and turning the world upside down work that that early church began. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for sending your son I thank you for humbling yourself and sending yourself to earth to show us the compassion, the love. But not just a, a feeling of compassion, of love, but a fi- that, that compassion and love backed by the power of God to heal, to set free. I thank you, Lord God, for the privilege of being one of your subjects, being one of your royal subjects. And Lord, we commit ourselves to being carriers of that divine power, to being carriers of that that ark of the covenant, that covenant that says the world is not left alone. God is with us. Lord, we commit ourselves to walking in your power, to speaking healing, to speaking freedom, to speaking liberty to all those who we see around us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.